I'm Chef John Falls, and you're listening to The Jeff Caven Show, the best podcast on radio. Hey, I'm Jeff Cavins. How do you simplify your life? How do you study the Bible? All the way from motorcycle trips to raising kids, we're going to talk about the faith and life in general. It's The Jeff Caven Show. Welcome to the show today. It's one of those shows where uh, I want to I introduce you to someone who's a very good friend of mine, uh, somebody that I, I met years ago, actually going over to Israel. And I'll tell you a little bit about that story later, but found out on the trip to Israel that he was actually a world famous chef. And since then, we have been friends uh, down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is where I'm coming from right now. I'm not deep in the woods of Minnesota with the loons around us and the four feet of snow, but I'm at the camping grounds deep in the swamp in Louisiana with my good friend, Chef John Falls. Let me give you a little introduction about him. We're going to talk about how the Catholic faith, how his faith has really been a part of forming who he is today. And I can tell you that is absolutely true. He's become a real a real best friend in my life and uh, really enjoy being around him. Uh, he opened, uh, let me tell you this, he, he's from St. James Parish in Louisiana. And uh, he is known as a restaurant owner, television host, leading authority on Cajun and Creole cuisine, and I know it's way beyond that. In 1978, he opened up Lafitte's Landing Restaurant in the historic uh, Viala Plantation House. He'll probably correct me on that, in Donaldsonville, uh, Louisiana. He introduced Louisiana indigenous cuisine to Japan, to uh, Beijing, Hong Kong, Paris. It goes on and on. But one of his uh, most most uh, noted meals is he fed President Ronald Reagan with, I think, four other presidents at different times, with Mikhail Gorbachev. And uh, that was that, that famous summit in Moscow. And we'll talk a little bit about that probably as well. But I want to welcome to the show one of my good friends, Chef John False. Good to be here in the swamp with you. <laughs> well, it's nice to have you as well. And, and in fact, we have a beautiful day in the swamp lands of Louisiana. One, one of the uh, days that I really love. The temperature is perfect. The birds are uh, flying. They're, uh, it's just a magnificent day. And thanks for inviting me to the table. And this has been a, 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 unlike any other trip that Emily and I have ever taken before. That we, you invited us, I think last year, just to come down and spend some time in the swamps. And uh, we're really in a very nice plantation, folks, right now. And uh, we took you up on it. We've been uh, spending almost a month down in the south with you and other good people going around and speaking at churches, uh, even taking part a little bit in the Mardi Gras this year in, in traffic jam and came back home. <laughs> but, uh, you know, tell, tell our, our, our friends a little bit of how you and I actually met. I think that's, I think it's fascinating. <laughs> well, uh, I, I was lucky enough uh, uh, to hear about a, a journey that was being done by a group here in Baton Rouge to the Holy Land. And they said, oh, you're going to love it because uh, Jeff Cavins is leading. And I said, who's Jeff Cavins? <laughs> <laughs> Those words came out of my mouth, too. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding there. But anyway, so I uh, uh, ended up going on the trip and absolutely fell in love, not only with uh, not only with your commentary on each one of the spots that we were in, but then getting getting to know you and getting to walk the Holy Land and uh uh, spending the night in the Holy Sepulchre, 
I was one of those guys who were chosen to be in there, which was a miracle. But uh, anyway, uh, I think we really met when you walked up to me and said, what are you recording? What are you recording with that camera? And I said, uh, oh, Jeff, I, you know, I'm a chef from Louisiana, and I just love all of this. And uh, you, you mind if I record all of your uh, messages? And, uh, well, you're not going to sell that, are you? And I said, no. <laughs> anyway, we ended up, uh, we ended up uh, meeting that way. And, of course, I, I, I think you were baffled when you saw me trying to cook a tilapia, a Jesus fish, on the shores of Galilee, and you said that guy really wants to cook. You yeah, know? he's got something you know, about food. I don't think you knew I was a chef then, right? No, because I took my phone and I and I Googled your name, and I suddenly realized I said to Emily, I said, Oh my gosh, this guy's a world famous chef. I thought this was a hobby or something. <laughs> but uh, but it was uh, it, it was it was fascinating. I mean, just fascinating. The trip was fascinating, it, and I have to say, it really changed my life because that. The things that I saw, uh, your 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 messages while we were there, mass on the seashore with the, with the wonderful priests, uh, it, it was a it was a life changing moment for me. It really was, and I realized that it's all about food for me. So I'm always searching food. Sure. I'm always trying to, and it all begins with the Last Supper for me. You know, so <laughs> so it uh, uh, yeah. So that, that's how we met. We met we met on the shores of Galilee. Think about that. And right? that's amazing. No, it's <laughs> it amazing. And our friendship has only deepened. And, uh, of course, I didn't know, uh, you know, up in the north, up by the, the deep in the woods with the loons up there, uh, <laughs> chef, I was a chef, actually, one time um, at um, McDonald's. And, and so being a chef up north, it didn't mean quite as much as down here. And I got to say that when I take you out or you take me out to restaurants <laughs> around here, you're kind of a rock star when it comes to uh, being a chef, and right and rightly so. But your roots go go deep into the swamp, and that that's that's something that in the north that would sound different to someone, but down here that's a reality that your roots go deep. Your not only of cooking, but your faith goes deep back in the swamps when you were growing up. Bring us back and, and talk to us a little bit about uh, your growing up and some of the things that you faced and how your your faith began to really form John False. Uh, well, that's a, uh, uh, that, that story is a, a really one that, that's emotional for me because uh, growing up in the swamplands means that your father was probably a trapper. He trapped for us for a living. There was not much money. We didn't exchange... Uh, goods for money we exchange pelts from uh, for food uh, pelts for mink or alligator or things like that uh, uh, you know it, we lived in a loving environment a very catholic environment the church was center to everything we did the catholic church was really center the greatest gift any parent could have would be to have a son who wanted to be a priest and our grandmothers was always preparing us for that day when we would announce we were going to the seminary. <laughs> right. It was that it was that important to them. Uh, the church was the center of our lives. It was hard. It was a difficult living, but at the same time, we had extended family. Most of the people in the area were related in some fashion. You lived off of the land. We didn't have a January and a February and a March in our calendar. We had crawfish season. We had deer season. We had duck season, and uh, and we. We lived, uh, we lived that way. In 1955, my mother uh, passed away uh, in, a, in our little Cajun cabin. She left eight children behind. Her first child uh, was, uh, uh, died in birth, 
and her last child, number 10, died in birth with her. And uh, uh, at that point in time, uh, you know, that this extended family, this very Catholic family in the South, uh, really came together to, uh, to make sure that the false family was going to continue to survive uh, uh, in, in, in the home. And of course, uh, church was a very big part of it. But uh, the greatest gift that, uh, that I had in my life was a knock on the door back in 1956 and uh, when my dad opened the door of our little Cajun cabin and all of the eight children gathered around the door to look out, there was no company coming in the swamplands. You know, mm -hmm. if somebody knocked on your door, there was a message to give. And it was an African-American woman who uh, uh, reached in and told my dad that she was there to help. And when my dad asked, uh, help what? She said, I'm here to help you raise these children. Wow. My dad never remarried. He reared all uh, eight, eight of us, and the twins were 14 months old when mom died, and the oldest child was a daughter, 10. So Mary Fasher was the mother we knew. And uh, uh, Was that normal back then? Well, I mean, what was, it, what was normal if your, mother, if your mother passed away and there's nothing but children running around with your father? What was the norm? Well, the norm in the, in, in the Catholic Church with the, with the godmothers and godfathers, the godparents, the role was for them to take the children. Uh -huh. My godmother, uh, I knew when we got back from burying my mom that I was going to be packing my clothes to go to my grandmother, um, to my, uh, to my uh, nanan, as we call them, uh, mm -hmm. my godmother's home. That was the responsibility as the church had planned if the parent if the dad or the mom couldn't raise all of us and of course in the Cajun family it was always large families again the Catholic Church uh, demanded that you just keep having these uh, uh, these kids you know we need more <laughs> you know <laughs> and uh, we were very very Catholic the whole neighborhood was uh, so so Mary Fashow came in and my dad told us gathered us around the bed uh, the day after we buried my mom and he said something that was just magical for all of us. He said, we're going to stay together as a family. What did you think at that point? Well, it gave us not only the encouragement to know that we were safe, that we were going to see our brothers and sisters again, uh, that uh, at, at the end of the day, the uh, fact is the most pronounced thing that happened that day, my sister Ruth, who was 12 years old, when my dad gathered us around and said, we're going to stay together my sister Ruth looked up at him and uh, looked uh, up and said, "Dad, who's going to say the rosary tonight?" Mm. And today, that resonates more with me than anything else because it showed, even though Mother was gone and I was only seven, she had already instilled in us this strong faith—the yeah. faith that we were, were a family, that the church was important, that the Blessed Mother was needed to be in our home every night around that big bed. Oh, as we knelt down to say the rosary. And my sister's only question, who's going to say the rosary? And my dad said, that's your job now. Oh. Uh, so, uh, so I'm reminded of that. And as I speak uh, today to, to groups, I remind them of how important and what a strong web that was that just wrapped around us, the faith, the family, the church uh, in the swamplands of Louisiana, uh, really uh, got us to where we are today. Without those three elements, we wouldn't be here. Wow, that that's really that's powerful, and you can you can see the the, the two things. One, you know the the um, 
the faith of your mother passed on, the faith of your father passed on, and what family meant, but also Mary, this this lovely lady who how, how did she get into that kind of agreement where she said I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna raise these children? Did she have children of her own? She had six children of her own, but uh, she didn't tell the story till many years later. But one day we were sitting together, she and I, and she said, uh, I said, Mary, how did you come? To, to be the only mother we really knew because of my, we didn't remember my mom. She died so young. Uh, and Mary said, one day I was walking down the dirt road coming out of the swamps and I passed your mom and dad's little Cajun cabin, that little trapper's cabin in the swamps. And here was a woman, nine months pregnant. I could tell she was about to give birth mm -hmm. again. And it started to rain while she was hanging clothes on the outdoor clothesline. And she says, I noticed immediately that every piece of clothes was a diaper, hmm. which meant that house was full of children. Sure. And she was giving birth again. I didn't know how many children she had. But I, in the rain, I walked through the gate into the yard. I sat this pregnant woman down on the little step, and I said, let me hang the clothes. And after she hung the clothes with my mother sitting in the rain, my mother grabbed her hand and said, if anything ever happens to me, would you look in on these children? Wow. Two weeks later, my mother was dead. Isn't that something? So my mother had the premonition that she was not going to make it through this, uh, this pregnancy. This was her 10th child. She was 38 years old. Big Cajun families were important to sustain in the swamplands of Louisiana. But Mary Fasher was a gift from God to come knock on that door and tell my dad, I promised your wife something a couple of weeks ago that I have to fulfill. She uh -huh. asked me to look in on these children. She looked in on us for 22 years. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Raised her six children to great success. Raised each one of us to great success. And again, in all of my lectures today, I always start off by saying my mother was a beautiful African-American woman. Isn't that great? Not the mother who gave me birth, but the mother who gave me life. Did you see her at church? Oh, my God, yes. Because in those days, unfortunately, it was all about segregation. Sure. But the Catholic Church in all of our little villages had the African-American side of the aisle and the white side of the aisle. Mm -hmm. But as uh, when my dad would march us in and his eight children into the front pew, <laughs> as he would, and I'm sure all the congregation said, oh my God, why don't they sit in the back of the church? These kids are gonna be making all this noise. We would look across the aisle and on the pew right across the aisle was Mary Fasher and her family. So as little children, all we would do would be look across the aisle and say, hey, Mary, hey, Mary, how you doing? And uh, thank God that ended at uh, some point in time. And and uh, and it was odd because most of the African-Americans in the area were Baptists. They went to the Baptist church. But we had a large congregation of Catholics, and we were fortunate that Mary was Catholic because she could bring us up in the faith. She could be, and Mary was there at every confirmation, she was there at every wedding. Yeah. So she was there just like the mother who would have given us birth to support us all through our formations, all through life. Well, it makes you think too, you know, and I, and I know a lot of you, you're driving in the car right now and, you know, thinking about 
this amazing story. And the people that are two, three doors down from you, the, the person in the apartment next to you, you might not know it, but they might be playing a key role in your life at some point, you know. And that's one of the, the beautiful things about making friends and opening up your life to, to, uh, to, to other people. When you say, Chef False, that she raised you kids, what does that mean? I mean, what did she do on a daily basis? Because this is a sacrifice. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. She was, she was a gift directly from God. Mm -hmm. That's the end of that story. Because Mary Fasho, when she... Took my, when my mother took her hand, that was the hand of God saying, you're going to raise your six children and you're going to raise these. She didn't know it. My mom didn't know it. All my mom knew was that she needed help. And this was the person in front of her face, right? Mm -hmm. Mary Fasho would fix breakfast for her six children. Luckily, she had two daughters who were teenagers who could kind of help at her home. Mary would be in our home at 7 in the morning. She'd cook breakfast for all of us. She'd get us dressed for school, just as mom would. And that's amazing, yeah. She'd, she washed the clothes. And remember, in those days, you had to hang everything on tree limbs outside because there was no washers, no dryers, very little electricity. She did for her family. She was in our home at, at 7. We all went to school. A lot of kids stayed at home who weren't in school. She would cook lunch for us. She'd go home and cook dinner for her children. She'd come back in the afternoon and cook dinner for us. She washed the clothes. She ironed them. She put them away. And she sat in that big rocking chair on the back porch and gathered us around her to tell stories of life. Oh. The reason we never had any issues in the South, in our home, even in the days of segregation, is because we saw Mary as the mother who raised us and we never had any issues whatsoever with people saying, uh, there's an African-American woman here mm -hmm. or whatever. We never had issues like that. We were so dependent on people in our area, the African-Americans, the Spanish, the Germans, the French, like we were, all were family. Yeah. We didn't know what segregation was. We didn't know what black and white were. Right. All we knew was that we strongly depended on everybody in the neighborhood and we came together often whether it was to kill a pig and divide up the meat so that we could survive on uh, or to go out into the swamps to fish and share the fish that's what our community did and that's what i see missing in the world today we saw no color we saw no language we saw no barriers all we saw was one family helping another in times of need and uh, that's all we knew, How and we that, grew up that way. And your faith has has a lot to do with that. And my, absolutely, my faith today is so strong, because I realized probably more, uh, and because of the community I grew up in, just how important it is that we realize that God has put all of these things together in your life that guarantees success. Whether it's your faith, whether faith, whether it's your workplace, whether it's your family. Mm -hmm. Uh, it doesn't matter. He's given us our own Garden of Eden to live in. And how do we approach it? Uh, how do we value it? How do we share it? These are the kind of things that we were taught at a very, very young age not to see beyond the, uh, the colors or the clothes they wore, sure. but to see that this is family. Mm -hmm. Everybody was family to us, and that's why we survived the way we did in, in I mean, 
tremendous poverty when you look at cash, but the greatest wealth when you look at family and friends. We're, uh, we're talking with Chef John False, and we are down in Baton Rouge, my wife and I, and having a wonderful, a wonderful time. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I, I want to talk about how, how your faith has, has followed you all these years and colored your life, because a lot of people would say, well, you know, you left the swamp a long time ago, and you've been for <laughs> presidents and the Pope and all kinds of things, but uh, you didn't leave the swamp. You brought the swamp to the world. And we're going to talk about that. You're listening to The Jeff Caven Show. Reading the Bible is something we as Catholics know we should do. But let's be honest, it can be kind of complicated. Even though it's a complete story, the Bible isn't really one book. It's more like a library with dozens of books and dozens of genres. There's poetry, prophecy, and prose. There are apocalypses and revelations, historical accounts and allegories. No wonder it's difficult to keep a finger on the story of God's love and plan of salvation for his people, the thread that keeps all of it together. If you're wishing there was a simple guide to help you tie all of this together, then you're just like Jeff Cavins and Tim Gray. That's why they wrote the book, Walking with God. Walking with God is a single book that traces the story that ties the Bible together. It helps you to understand the big picture of the Bible If you're looking to read more of the Bible, Walking with God will help you do it with confidence, peace, and clarity. You can find out more and order Walking with God on ascensionpress.com or on Amazon. Want to welcome you back to the Jeff Caven Show. We're talking today uh, about one of my good friends. And this this episode is part of Meet My Friends. And this is Chef John False. And he is an amazing chef. And we've had a wonderful time down here in the swamps of Louisiana learning how to cook. I went through my first boucherie, Chef. That that was wild. I've never been through anything like that in my life. T- tell my friends what a boucherie is. <laughs> Well, a boucherie is a, a coming together of family and friends in a community. We're in, we're in Cajun country, Louisiana, where community and family is very important. We depend so much on each other. And uh, in the old days, <clears throat> prior to refrigeration, 10 families would come together. Didn't matter race, creed, color, didn't, uh, none of that mattered to us. And 10 families would come together uh, to go to one of the family's homes to butcher a pig or to butcher a calf. It was an all-day affair. Uh, the women would uh, chop the onions in the celery and the bell pepper. The children would run out and pick up little sticks to build the fires on our communal pots. The men would slaughter the animal and scrape the, the bristles from the pig and butcher it. And then we would cook the sausages. We'd smoke the sausages. We'd make... Uh, very famous andouille, one of the sausages, the hogshead cheese. We'd cut the, the pieces of meat, the pork chops, or whatever it was going to be. And then at the end of the day, we divided the packages up between the 10 families. Mm-hmm. Everybody would leave after a nice fete de which was a dance at the end of the night uh, with fiddles and accordions, and the children would learn to dance the Cajun dances and sing the Cajun songs. Again, it was a place where... Uh, your education was out behind the barn. Uh, there was no universities in our area. You learned from the from your hands in the dirt, so to speak. Uh, and then two weeks later, you'd do it again at the next family's home. Sure. So we always had fresh meat. We always had fresh 
uh, vegetables from each other's garden. So the boucherie was an annual event where these 10 families, the company, the boucherie, it was called, mm -hmm. the company of the butchers, and they would meet. Uh, and it preserved uh, the, the, the meat. Uh, it, preserved, it gave us the, the sustenance we needed. Sure. And at the same time, we learned about each other's family. We learned about each other's skill. If I wanted to be a butcher, I would go sit next to Mr. Zoom, that uh, African-American man who just just scraped that pig so perfectly. <laughs> I wanted to be just like him. That was my... Boy, you, and I, my you, and, I, you and I grew up so differently. <laughs> a moon, a, a moonshot. But, but we the, went up and got a pizza. That's what we did. <laughs> well... But, but what it did, Jeff, when I look back at it today, it was so much more important than just the bushery. It was exchanging ideas. It was learning about some person's skill. Sure. It was storytelling where you could actually sit down. There was no TVs. There was no radios. I mean, we were in the swamplands without electricity. Mm -hmm. We had potbelly stoves we cooked on. And I'm talking about 1955. Right. You know? uh, but my God, I cannot, I, was, I wasn't born then. <laughs> but I cannot think of a better place to prepare me for the life that God chose me yeah. to lead. Well, you had me as a part of this boucherie in uh, 2019, uh, but I was a little confused because I've never heard of this dish before. You had me on the raccoon and rooster <laughs> stew, <laughs> and I thought it was a joke until uh, you. Yeah, that's what we did. Well, you know, every boucherie had a set of the ten butchers. But at the same time, the butchers needed someone to cook the butchers' lunch. And, of course, being in the swamps, we had no grocery store. So somebody would say, okay, well, get the gun and let's go outside and we're going to go ahead and gather the, the, the food for the butchers. So they'd go out into the swamps and they might shoot a squirrel or they might shoot a rabbit or they might shoot uh, lucky enough we could get a raccoon because mm -hmm. we really love the meat of the raccoon no, I, know, don't I, know, don't I, know, I know everybody's thinking are you kidding me <laughs> but, but I, got, well, I, got, I got pictures by the way folks <laughs> i'm gonna put those pictures on the, the show notes so you can see my raccoon stew and by the way there's another there's a big gumbo contest in uh, louisiana uh, about a week or so ago and uh uh, I think you tied in that kind. Of, I don't know if you won or tied, but I got video of that too. And that was, of course, Chef John False and I with a gumbo contest. I gotta be. I gotta be now, honest. Can you imagine? I brought him into my home because he was challenging me to create the perfect gumbo, that well, great you, soup of. Well, you didn't. That's you didn't want it on TV. That's why I went into your home. Uh, you, you did. You, uh, you did pretty doggone good. In fact, it was a good gumbo. I'd, I'd sell that gumbo. <laughs> well, you. You know, you, you, you came from the swamps, your heart still is here in Louisiana, but yet you have gone around the world, you, you know, and you brought me over to that uh, St. James Parish area in Don Donaldsonville, uh, uh, Thibodeau, and, and now there is a, a four-year degree in culinary skills from Nichols State University, right. and uh, you have cooked for the Pope. You've cooked for five, was it five presidents? Five presidents, yeah. How do you go from the swamp to doing that? And I know that your faith has a lot to do with it because you're one of the most giving philanthropic men uh, I've ever met, and, and I think that's, that has a lot to do with your recipe for success. Uh, well, it's the culture, you know, when when you came from such, uh, and I hate to use the word impoverished because we were so wealthy in friends and food and uh, all the things that's important in life. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> but at some point in time, 
uh, I decided that, uh, in fact, as I was talking to my wife, Lolly, one day, and I said, you know, what am I going to do with my life? I mean, we're successful in the restaurant business. We're in the swamps of Louisiana still. We have a beautiful little restaurant right on the outskirts of the swamps. Now it's a tourist area. People are coming in to see the crawfish industry and uh, to look at the plantation homes that are still standing today. And, of course, that's on the edge of my, my world. Uh, so um, Lolly said, what are you going to do now? I mean, you're successful in the business. I know you don't want to just stay here and cook all day long. What do you want to do? And I said, well, I really like to share our experiences with people outside of Donaldsonville. And she said, but why don't you why don't you just take it out? I said, take it where? And she said, take it to the world. I mean, what, what are you what are you waiting for? Mm -hmm. uh, you're proud of it. You're passionate. And I said, but, but Lolly, we don't have any money to do anything like that. She says, no excuses. Just make it happen. So I was lucky enough to be invited when the Cajun craze took place many years ago. Everybody wanted Cajun food. I got invited to Japan to open a Louisiana restaurant in Japan just as a festival for about uh -huh. two weeks. And that made me realize I can do this. I can do this because when I went to Japan, the media wanted to hear more stories about the swamps. They wanted to hear that description again. Yep. They wanted to know about the foods. So I decided, you know what? My goal should be to bring Louisiana's culinary, cultural, uh, and just passion for our faith to people who will never get it. I'm going to go to China and Russia. I'm going to bring our culture to Russia. And, and, my, and that, my wife said, yeah, right. Yeah, you can you know. imagine you at 9, 10 years old sitting in the swamp trapping, you know, with your brothers and saying, all this is going to Russia. But, you know, as God works, as God works, and I've come to learn that God, God is there every moment, and he's challenging you to do exactly what you're able to do. He's right. given us the skills. So our started to write to the Soviet embassy, make a long story short. After three years, I got a, a, a courier from the Soviet embassy in Washington knocking on my door in Louisiana with two tickets on Aeroflot to fly to Russia to discuss this restaurant I wanted to open. Three years after I started. They didn't have Western restaurants at that time. Oh, my God. There was nobody getting into Moscow in 1988. Right. Nobody. Uh, so, uh, naturally, I jumped on Aeroflot, flew to Moscow, was there for 10 days before anybody even knocked on my door. I, I, I started to get worried about whether I'd ever get home. Uh, but eventually, I knock on my door. Somebody brought me downstairs to uh, meet this group of 10 men who sat there for a moment in that Russian style, beating on the table and speaking Russian to, to my interpreter. And finally, the interpreter looks at me, a wonderful lady, and she says, they want to know what is it you want. I said, well, I would like to bring the culture and the cuisine of my state to the Soviet people. Mm. And after much discussion, a couple of days, uh, they came back in for another meeting with cameras and said, we have a protocol of intention, a contract that will allow you to do that. Well, I was, I mean, I was just beyond belief, only to find out later that the dates they gave me to open that restaurant just happened to be the dates that were still secret around the world that President Reagan was going to be meeting with President Garvey. You, did you, you didn't know that, though? No. They gave me these specific dates 
which was only three months later. And I was to bring all of the food, all of the labor. <laughs> I was to bring the equipment, everything needed to open a restaurant without telling me it was for the Reagan Gorbachev Summit. Interesting. 80% of the world's press were there in Moscow when I opened my restaurant that night. Sitting right in front of me was Yuri Gagarin, the first man in space. Huh. President of the United States was sitting there. The Reagan White House was there. The Gorbachevs were there. And Jeff, that was the day I said to myself, I mean, it just hit me so hard, right? between the eyes as I'm looking at this room. I, I can see it right now. And I said to myself, how did you get here? <laughs> how in the world did you get here now? And If mama did, could see and, me now. <laughs> and I didn't quite realize that I was going to get that answer, how I got there. And, uh, and I told you the story that it was just a couple of days later that my guide, my, my interpreter, and I went for a little walk and she grabbed my arm as we walked into one of the closed cathedrals of Russia, Moscow, and she squeezed up close next to me, and she said, Chef, when you come back, can you bring me a Bible? A Bible? A Bible. And I mean, you know from your experience yeah. that that was pretty That's dangerous in Russia at the time. And she squeezed my hand a little bit more, and she said, but it's very dangerous. Mm -hmm. Be careful. And I realized, Jeff, it was 15 years before I woke up in the middle of the night one night, as God is my witness. I sat up in bed, and I said, oh, my God, I did not go to Russia to serve Reagan and Gorbachev. God sent me to Russia to bring to that bring a Bible. Bible. Wow, that's, that's, that's insight. That's why I was in Russia, but I didn't know it. I was thinking to myself, oh, man, I did all of this. <laughs> but you, no. cook, you cooked for a pope, too. Which one was that? Uh, well, that was John Paul II. Uh, and again, I went to do the Vatic a Vatican State dinner for the bishops who had all come into Rome for their meetings. You mm -hmm. know? And uh, I was really hoping that I would get to meet Pope John Paul, uh, being there to do the dinner. And that night after the dinner, realizing the Pope wasn't in the room, uh, I said my thank you to all of the bishops. There were, I don't know, about 500 of them were in the room. It was at the American College, American University. And, uh, and in that conversation, Cardinal Marchenkas uh -huh. got up and walked over to me, and he said that was a big cigar in his hand. <laughs> he was with the Vatican Bank then. And he said... Uh, this was fantastic. He said, if there's anything you want to do, he said, just, uh, I can arrange it. <laughs> and I said, oh, I can my think God. of something. Uh, uh, I said, is there any way I might be able to tour some of the places in the Vatican that, you know, that's, you know, the library or things that, uh, uh, and he says, uh, I said, because I really was hoping I could meet the Pope or see the Pope. And he said, oh, you want to do that? I said, yeah. He said, no problem. He said, I'll get back with you. And when I got back to my hotel that night, there was a message that said to be ready at 5 in the morning right. that the military was going to drive me to Gandolfo for mass. Oh, you went to the summer home. I went to the summer home. I went to Gandolfo. So 
and I didn't know. The first thing I said was, oh, my God, I need to preach. I said, I need confession. <laughs> True story. I finally found a priest on this, walking. In, I said, I need to do confession right now. <laughs> and I said, and I'll never forget, I told the priest, I said, because I'm going to see the Pope tomorrow. I'm going to Gandolfo. And I'm sure the priest said, yeah, sure you are. <laughs> well, I did. I ended up uh, that morning for morning mass at Gandolfo. There was 10 people in the room. Uh-huh. And there was a missionary who sat next to me. He was 80 years old. And he said, all of my life, I've wanted to, to come to Gandolfo to have mass with the Pope. And I'm here today. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, he's <laughs> devoted his whole life to the church. And he wants to be here. And he wants to be here. And I'm here for the first time. Like, how did I get here? Uh-huh. And uh, it was... Uh, I don't weird. recall seeing you that day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, was, it was fantastic. And, and the Pope gave me a nice message as he came through. He says, uh, he says, you're American. He says, America has a tremendous responsibility in the world. Uh-huh. We should talk about that. That's what he said. Really? Said, yeah, oh, anytime. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing I'll, for lunch? I'll hang, I'll hang around. <laughs> uh, but anyway, you know, to have to have him put his rosary in my hand and give me a little kiss on the cheek. And and when I was kneeling there, right as he knelt down on his little prayer, his little kneeler, to say his morning prayers in front of the altar, mm-hmm. I said to myself, I could reach one foot in front of me and put my hand on the shoulder of Pope John Paul. John Paul's, how did you get here? I kept asking myself then this reoccurring statement, how did Did you you get get here? here? Yeah. And then I finally realized it's God. Yeah. It's God in my life. You're doing the things he's asking you to do. What are you not doing? What do you need to do more of? What do you need to do to earn what I'm giving you free of charge. Right. I'm, I'm putting you in places. I ended up open, opening my restaurant in 12 countries of the world. Mm-hmm. I ended up opening in China, and I opened in Russia, and realized that I was in the Soviet Union Just the before, two of those were... before the wall fell. Right. Uh, I have a chef jacket that's in a museum in Paris that was the first foreign jacket on the Great Wall of China. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, I know that in each one of those instances now that God has given me gifts that are impossible for me as a human being to get or achieve. And I'm always asking the question to myself, okay, Papa, what do you want me to do now for what you've given me? Mm -hmm. Because I cannot pay him back for what I've done. Sure. What I've been able to do, I just can't do it. I, no matter what I do, and so I try to be as involved as I can in charity and etc. And you do an incredible job, and, and you're just going around the Baton Rouge, New Orleans area over the last few weeks. If your name comes up, that's actually the that, that's actually the first thing that people bring up is that he does so much for the church, and I don't think people realize how much you really do. And I don't, you know, you don't want to go through that list, but I think you're even going to be involved in the big Napa meeting. I'm going to be, uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a speaker at Legatus. Yeah. Uh, I'm now writing a, a... You and I are going to be in the same issue, yeah, by the way. Yeah, we're going to be in the same issue, that's right. But uh, imagine that I didn't even know what Legatus was. <laughs> I mean, imagine until I was invited to speak and to do that annual conference in Scottsdale, and I spoke about my story. 
And after the president of Legatus came in and said, you have to be a speaker for Legatus. You have to be. And now I'm invited to do the Congress in Napa mm -hmm. in July, which I'm very happy about because that's the whole world Congress of uh, the Legatus. Be honest. Is that why you wanted my gumbo recipe? <laughs> be honest. Well, <laughs> I, I, I figured that... Uh, that, uh, you know, I could start, uh, you, you know, with uh, teaching them gumbo at your level. Uh -huh. Because, I mean, you know, my level is so so high. I mean, I, I don't want to embarrass these cooks uh, around. <laughs> I mean, I can start with kind of like, like uh, well, what would be the right... Uh, I got, pic like I got light, pictures, maybe, you know. Maybe light or something like that. I got like pictures. Uh, tell tell uh, our, 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 by the way, the, the people that listen to this show are the best in the country. <laughs> they they are. are the best in the country. Tell them who cooked, who cooked grits for you this morning. <laughs> Uh, first of all, for two people, Emily and Jeff Cavins, <laughs> to cook grits in itself is a miracle that happened right here at White Oak this morning. <laughs> and blue grits at that. The That's blue. right. But let me let me commend you. You're you're a fast learner. Well, no, I shouldn't say you. I mean, Emily cooked the grits. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you are too. I got quiz you right here. Old Testament, New Testament. Which one's bigger? <laughs> hey, back to Rome for a second. Did you actually cook for the Pope? Did I mean, did he eat your cooking? Or no? What he did was this. I told him. He told me in in passing. He said, when I was in New Orleans, to lay the cornerstone on the redoing on the renovation of St. Louis Cathedral, I tasted this great soup. Now, this is from Pope John Paul. Okay. He says, what was the name of the soup? Uh, he said, uh, ah, the goomba soup. Goomba. The, the, I said, oh, I said, gumbo. I said, the gumbo. I said, Did you? he said, oh, it was delicious, very nice. Uh, and I said, well, I can send some to you. I can send it through Leonardo da Vinci, and I can have my guys Delivered. That's a hotel. He's, a, He's not someone you know. <laughs> right, right, the hotel. Right. Uh, I said, we can, I said, I can send it to you. He said, hey, it's possible. And I did. So I, I shipped gumbo. Now, whether he ever got it or not, I, I'm sure he must have. Well, you know, we, said, we sent it to the places they asked us to send it. So I, when I gave him a sample of my lutefisk, he never <laughs> mentioned anything about your gumbo at all. He never mentioned your name. I asked him about you. Yeah. Well, I'm going to provide some pictures for the show notes of, of our gumbo contest with your lovely wife, Lolly. And we went. To, we did. We went to your home. And that was a wonderful evening. And yeah, both Emily and I enjoyed that. Very much. Great, great time. Yeah, well, I want to thank you for spending some time with us, uh, telling your story about uh, you know beginning in the swamp, how the faith really touched your life, the key people uh, in your life, and uh, thank you for being faithful to Christ and and uh, in the church, and you've done you've done so much, and um, I, I just pray that more, particularly young people, because you're so good at mentoring people, and I've been here for a month with you. Uh, and speaking in the area, and I can I just watch I can watch and I can see a master mentorer when I when I see it, and you have a big impact on these young uh, culinary students over at Nichols University. We went over there in Thibodeau, and uh, and you are giving back in so many different ways, and that's a lesson for all of us. You know, my friend, when when Jesus said to whom much is given, much is required. And that's a, that's a truth in the scripture. If you've been given much, 
And as uh, Chef John Falsa realized, even in the swamps of Louisiana, much was given to him. And he uh, was required to give back, and he, he certainly did. And Jesus also said something else. To whom uh, those who have little, uh, they'll have even less, you know, if they don't do something with it. And to those who have much, even more will be given. That's a truth in, in Scripture. And Chef John Falsa is a uh, great example of that. Uh, I want to end with this, uh, Chef. I, I noticed you gave me your uh, your cookbooks, and I have never in my life until the other day realized that a cookbook could be so big, so heavy, as to uh, to uh, ward off traffic down at the Mardi Gras. <laughs> All they do is they set your books up. They open it up, set it up. Cars go around them. It's an amazing thing. Tell tell me real quickly about the, the, your your books because I do want them. I want people to know you and meet you uh, in the cooking in the pot. <laughs> well, well, uh, I, I, Michelle York and I, who's uh, uh, on staff and uh, my my communications director, she and I decided a few years back, about 12 years ago, that we should write encyclopedias on the importance of the foods of Louisiana. So we started off with the Encyclopedia of Cajun and Creole Cuisine, uh, which I think is a 10-pound book. I know we have about 900 pages. (laughs) He's not kidding. But but it's a complete history, including the faith, I might mention, uh, on cooking in Louisiana, the importance of it, and the seven nations that founded Louisiana, mostly Catholic, the French, the Spanish, the Germans, the... Africans, the English, uh, uh, and the Italians, those seven nations founded Louisiana in the 1700s. So we pay res- we, we, we devote a chapter to each one of them, and there's about 600 recipes. But then we decided to keep going. We decided to showcase the fishing industry, the wild game and hunting where my family made their living, and then the vegetable book, which had just yeah. come out. So. And there's so many great pictures that bring us back to the swamp. Oh, yeah. No, so if, uh, if you're intrigued, my friend, and you're into cooking, uh, even if you're not into cooking, if you're into swamps, I mean, <laughs> if you're not into swamps, you just want to get to know John better, there's a lot of unbelievable pictures. And where, where can people get the books? Uh, well, you got, just go online and uh, uh, Amazon or any, oh, okay. of those, yeah, any of those places. The Encyclopedia of Cajun and Creole Cuisine mm-hmm. is, is the one you should start with. Uh, and it gives you all of the history, the faith, the church, all of that is is packed in there pretty good. And where would people go to get my recipe for gumbo? Uh, well, let me see. Probably, let me see. You're from Minnesota. Let me see. Probably somewhere in the, uh, the Twin Cities up there. You know, probably, uh, uh, but, but, it's not ready for prime time. Uh, well, it's, let, me, let me say again, uh, just to all of you out there, I don't want him to hear me here, but I'm going to say it quietly. It was a pretty good gumbo. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> on that note, we will we will leave. And I, I want to end with prayer. And again, uh, my friend, uh, I, I want to encourage you listening uh, that God has a purpose for your life. And wherever you came from, I, I find that, uh, that that's part of the recipe of life. You know, that my life goes back to Iowa. I was raised in Iowa on the university, Iowa State. My dad was getting his PhD. I was just a little kid wandering around. And I, and I, can, I can still go back to my parents raising me. And, and that's a big part of the recipe of who I am today. And people along the path have put other spices and wonderful things into the recipe of my life. And I am who I am today. And you are who you are today because of other people and their influence uh, in in your life. And so I want to encourage you to to give free samples of spice to other people 
and to be kind, to love them. As, as Bob Dylan's mother said, be kind to everyone because everyone's going through something in their life. And, and you can be a real agent of change and love and a, an expression of Jesus Christ and his love for the world. Let me pray with you. And uh, everything we've been talking about here is in the show notes. Don't want you to write that stuff down while you're driving. So uh, let's pray right now, shall we? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, I thank you for my friends who have joined me once again to meet my friends today, Chef John Falls, and the great work that he has done in the, in the great heritage in which he, he comes from, in the Catholic uh, swamps of Louisiana, and the influence that he has had. I pray for my friend, you today that are listening, that God would use you in a powerful way and to always look to what he has dealt you in life and given you as gifts and opportunities and make the most of it. Sow your life into the kingdom of God and allow him to use you in a powerful way. Never let anybody tell you you can't do something because of who you are, because of your family, where you come from, or anything else, because God will use us to change the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks so much. It was great.